Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey guys, welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Jason Perro. How are you doing, man? I'm great, RJ. How are you? How are you? Oh man, just uh, trying to make it through another day of this quarantine lockdown lifestyle right now. Uh, you and I were kind of chatting before we got on, and uh, I'm interested to get your take on you know the impact that COVID 19s had on your business. Uh, but for the people that don't know you, briefly kind of give a rundown of what it is that you do in real estate investing. Yep. So uh, my wife and I own, um, we're, we're mainly buy and hold. Um, we, we've been in, buying real estate in Erie, Pennsylvania and surrounding areas since 2001. Um, two thirds of our portfolio is just my wife and I, stuff that we own you know, just together. And then a third of it is stuff that we've syndicated over the last uh, year and a half, two years. Okay. So kind of a nice mix of property, everything from single family homes, homes up to a um, you know, couple hundred unit complexes. Gotcha. So how did you get your start in, in buy and hold real estate? So that's, um, that's all we ever knew, you know? So when I, uh, when I, we started out and looked at people that were in real estate, you know, we heard that, you know, pe people that have money have real estate and, you know, when we're young and a few years out of college didn't have, didn't have money. And that's what we, where we wanted to go. Um, you know, we just, we just thought, Hey, you buy some rental properties hold on to it. And over time, the tenants will pay the, you know, they'll pay the mortgage down. Right. And at the end of this, you'll have a nice little, you know, nice little savings account. And, and, uh, um, and so I didn't know any different, you know, and then you, later on, we you know, learned about all these other strategies, but that's, um, that always seemed like the, the most logical path to me because, you know, um, good economic times, bad economic times, you, you always have uh, cash flow coming in. And if you don't have cash flow, at least you have a hard asset, right. which, which is worth something. You know, it's so funny. I, I get to, you know, I'm honored to be able to interview investors from across the country and hear how everybody got started. And I always think it's so funny because everybody's answer about how did you get started is, is pretty unanimous. It's like, well, I didn't know any better. So this is where I found, this is what I knew and this is where I found my niche. And that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a wholesaler, flipper, buy and hold. Um, you know, so you said, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of money and you and your wife, this is what y'all figured was the best path for y'all. This is what yeah. you, you heard to do. So how did you find properties if you didn't have a whole lot of money backing you? Sure. Um, you know, at the time that we both had, uh, well, our first property, she was still in college, uh, finishing up her senior year. I had been working, had a sales job. Um, you know, we both got into medical sales. And, and so we had, uh, she was a pharmaceutical rep and I, I was a medical device sales rep. And we, um, you know, we made good money. Um, you know, we were still young. So we started saving everything we could. And, you know, we just, it was networking. You know, we'd talk to, you know, a family friend who knew somebody, who knew somebody that had rental properties. And you know, everybody, of course, would try and talk you out of it. But as I got to meet these people and, and you know, um, they were where I wanted to go. And I thought it was such a cool thing that, oh man, you know, you have these rental properties and whether it was, you know, most of the people I met early on, it was just a, a extra income. Right. And it wasn't until several years in that I met people that actually had enough that did it for a living and saw that that was possible. And so I just, you know, that we just, it was just, you know, trying to meet people, whether it was like somebody who posted an ad 
in the newspaper. They used to do that where they were you know, selling property and, and uh, you'd call a number and they'd say, oh, I got some property for sale and, and just getting to, you know, getting to meet and know people like that. And, and uh, um, that, that was, that was it. It was just a simple, simple thing because everybody knows somebody who has a rental property. And right. That, that was, We've you know, probably got a couple of young millennials that are like, you mean like the ads that they post on the websites, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. No, it was the actual okay, man. I remember those days back in the day too. So, um, you know, and it, it's, it's funny because I remember, you know, before I got into real estate investing and I, I would talk to people that owned a couple of properties and just remembering how amazing that, that seemed like, man, yeah. you own like five houses. You know, and, and now that I'm in it, it's like, it, it's, it's a lot easier than, than it actually seemed. It seemed unattainable, unattainable right. back then. Um, you know, so, you know, you guys, you are saving up, you start buying properties. Um, yep. At what point in time did you kind of make the decision that, hey, this is probably what I want to do for my career? Yeah. I, I, you know, so early on, our goal was to, you know, to buy enough to be able to, like, you know, quote unquote, retire or leave, leave our day job. And, and again, the goals kept changing, you know, we, you know, this is like before kids, you know, and then, um, you know, kept, you know, getting better and better day jobs. So, you know, we were making more income and, and, you know, we lived really cheap early on, but, you know, we knew that was what we wanted to do. And, but I kept moving the goalposts, you know, it was, Oh, once I get this many, I'll, I'll, I'll quit. Once I get this many, I'll quit. And so ultimately it came down to like in 2012, I left my day job. Uh, we, we built up to just about under 300 units. It was like 292 oh, wow. units or something. Um, but you know, we had built. Uh, you know, we had hired property managers, maintenance people, all that stuff. But it, it just started getting out of hand. I mean, it's just hard to do things and do them well when you're, you know, you're, you're balancing, you know, a really demanding day job along with, you know, the demands of of running a, a, a rental property business. So. Um, so, you know, I knew early on I wanted to work for myself, knew I didn't want to work, you know, for somebody else for the rest of my life. So the goals were pretty clear early on, but kind of fumbled our way through, you know, that first 10, 11 years to, to get to where we were able to. That's you know, an, lead, an amazing amount of patience, though. I mean, yeah. to wait until you get to 300 units. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you. I, for anybody that listens to my podcast, they all know my story. It took me about, you know three deals before I was yeah. like, Hey, I'm all in. This is what I'm doing for the well, rest of my life. We, we did it the old fashioned way where, you know, we were saving cause I didn't, again, we didn't know any different. Like right. we, we saved up money for down payments and I'm like, how the heck would anybody have, you know, be able to go out and buy a hundred unit or a 200 unit and things like that. So we kept, you know, saving our money, you know, building up equity, did a couple strategic refinances. I, I didn't know the first thing about for the longest time about hard money. I didn't know anything about partners, right. syndications. And, and so, you know, when we quit our date, you know, she left her job in 2010, myself in 2012. Then we started going to the next level with, you know, with hard money and partners. And some people, it's maybe, you know, a reverse strategy. I think a lot of people start out that way, but I think for us, it allowed us to, to partner up a little bit more confidently knowing that, Hey, look, we already have the strong base of, of property, you know, a strong base of income coming in. If this new deal doesn't go exactly as planned, you know, I don't need it to eat. And so that, that would allow us to maybe kind of approach it in a more confident way and, and give our investors a little bit more confidence. And then same thing with the syndications. It's like, Hey, here's just another, another level. And it wasn't like I needed that to, 
to, to, to live on. Like, yeah, I mean, because I'm going to go out on a limb and say the majority of my listeners are people that have probably gotten into real estate investing within the last, you know, probably five or six years, right? Yeah. And, and the, the path that you're taught nowadays is, yeah, leverage other people's money, whether it's hard money, private money, anywhere you can, you're not, you're not putting any of your own money in. Yeah. You came from this much different path. And yeah, I think that's probably one of the top questions that I get is, is, well, I, I'm not confident in going out and using somebody else's money when I yeah. haven't done it yet myself. Yeah. I mean, you had built such a strong portfolio. Um, when, when you finally quit that job and, and now you're at 300 units and you're full-time in it, I mean, talk about the, the change and just mindset and your day-to-day activities within your business. Cause I'm sure that you had been doing it for 10 or 11 years. I mean, yeah. that's a big change to now, Hey, I'm full-time in this. What was that process like? Yeah. I mean, it was a, a several year process to really get comfortable with myself as a, as a, say a leader or business owner, but being able to hire and fire people well. And, and, you know, I think that early on it was that adjustment of, well, I had all these people working for me and now I'm here, you know, now and instead of, instead of just a phone call, I'm actually here, here and right. in it every day. So, so that was like a huge mental adjustment. And then, you know, just keep, keep growing and taking care of our initial, you know, our original portfolio. I mean, um, it was a several year adjustment, uh, to be honest. I mean, you know, we kept growing, but you know, I had to really like figure out how to be a better business owner and, 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 you know, hire people, hire people better and hire better people and how to manage better and all, and all of those types of, all of those types of things, how to systematize our business. You know, we, you know, we just didn't stop at 300 units, you know, we're more than triple that size now mm-hmm. and, and figuring all of those things out. So it was, um, to say it was easy would be, well, I mean, it was hard. You know, we, we, we struggled through, you know, mentally, financially, emotionally, just how do we make this thing work? Yeah. Um, because it wasn't as easy as just like, hey, I quit my job and this is going to be great. It was like, I quit my job. Shit, now what? You know right. what I mean? Did like, you now struggle what I, with what time management? What's that? Did you struggle with time management when you first quit? I know yeah, that sounds yeah. like an oxymoron, but it's like you were so used to, hey, I only have so many hours in a day due to my job. And then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, I have 24 hours, seven yeah. days a week. And yeah. there's so many things that you want to do as like a visionary or the CEO. Did you kind of yeah. struggle with where maybe your time was focused on? I, I did. I mean, it was like, and again, it's the old saying of working on the business and not in the business, but yeah. that really takes time to, to figure that out. And it's okay to, I think it's okay to struggle with that because then you, you really realize what, what's important and where your time is best sent, spent. I mean, um, you know, some people, um, you know, just get it right away. And I, and I admire that ability to say, Oh, I just work on my business. You know, they're 22 years old and that's awesome. I mean, I wish I had that, you know, 20 <laughs> years ago in my case, but you know, you, we all kind of go at our own pace. And I think for me that, so the time management of like, yeah, it's okay for me to like, I need to understand what's going on in the business but I have to work on the business. And, and, and so now, you know, it becomes much more of a, um, you know, I, I will jump in the minutia when it's required where, you know, before our call, I had to, uh, had to have a long conversation with one of my property managers about a situation they were dealing with. Um, so it's not necessarily me working on the business, but it's was providing some coaching and some, some insight and action, you know, mm-hmm. some, some steps that they had to take. Um, 
but yeah, but early on it would be like, you know, there it was, I'd have people working for me, but I would also want to be involved in a lot of that right. stuff. And now, you know, we just figured out, but I've, I've gotten people that thrive in creating systems and following systems and having processes. And so we've, we've gotten, uh, not that the people before they were all fine, but they weren't really growth oriented and they weren't really along to, to help grow themselves, you know, and if they can yeah. grow themselves, they can help grow our business and, and, you know, and all of our goals and values are aligned um, properly. So, you know, I it, answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, and some of the feedback that I've heard from people and the reason why I wanted to touch base on this is, is because I know there's a lot of people out there that are either wholesaling or buying rentals or flipping a house here or there. And they're trying to build up their cash reserves before they quit that job. Right. Cause they're yeah. so used to that job paying the bills. Well, one thing that you have to understand is, is that if you're used to your job providing you, you know, finances and capital and, and that's what's supporting you, it's also supporting you in structure within your life. Yeah. And then when you become a full-time entrepreneur, it, it can be very daunting when suddenly it's now, there's not somebody there to tell you where to yeah. be, when to be, what to do. And, yeah. and I know that sounds crazy. Cause like for you, you could have been, you were doing this for 11 years, 12 yeah. years, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, now what, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, now you got to get in it and you want to grow it and you're so excited and it's very hard. And I, I still struggle with it from time to yeah. time where it's like, I have so many different ideas and it's like, what am I supposed to focus on today? Right. You know? And, uh, it, it's, it's definitely one of those topics that, uh, you know, majority of real estate investors say they struggle with. Yeah. So once you, you know, you talk about your team, um, let's kind of jump into today what the, the team looks like. I know you have a property manager, property manager, but who else is on the team and what does yeah. that look like? So, so yeah, we have, um, you know, a, a handful of property managers, you know, so we have, um, about 850 units, uh, right now I'd sold some things and we're adding in the next month, you know, we're adding another 160. So we're going to be, you know, a little over a thousand units right. at, um, you know, by, by the end of May, basically. And um, so we have site managers at, at two different portfolios, um, you know, dedicated maintenance staff at, at those, those two larger sites. And then and I've got a series of maintenance guys and office staff um, for everything else. And so we have, you know, a main office manager slash business manager. Um, our main property manager is really came in to be groomed to, to be, you know, our, our asset manager slash operations manager. And so, you know, he not only oversee, you know, does a lot of the day-to-day -day property management or most of it, but he, he also manages those particular site managers and helps build our processes and systems. And so um, I, I did that by design because I, I finally realized like, Hey, I gave, I give up, you know, there's, there's stuff that I'm not good at that I need, you know, we need people that are better than, than me at right. this stuff. And so, um, so there's that. And it, we, we, we've, because we do like to self-manage I and mean, we have a, our list of subcontractors and, and things like that, but we have, um, quite a, um, you know, quite a few maintenance guys on staff, you know, they handle everything from, you know, lawn care, uh, you know, snow removal, all that, all this kind of stuff. So, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, for a long time, it was hard to manage in-house cause you're building a company, you know, you're building mm -hmm. a system. Um, but once I realized that, you know, we actually needed a system in place and, and follow these, you know, it just, 
you know, you, you just kind of have to eat crap for a little bit to, you know, when you, when you've done it maybe wrong or you haven't optimized it for a while, you know, you really need to just to kind of sit on your hands, let, let these people do what they do and be patient with, with the process of, of building, you know, building a better machine. Right. So, so you brought up that, you know, you have a couple of assets that you've syndicated. Yeah. Um, at what point in time did you kind of add that to your tool belt and, and what was that process yeah. like? So, you know, like, like with a lot of things, I knew it existed for a long time. I think I probably started reading about syndication in the late 2000s, like 07, 08. Um, kind of understood it at the time. But in my mind, I had this mental block of like, man, why would I want partners? You know, why do I want all these hands in the cookie jar? And I didn't fully right. understand how it worked. And, and um, I just thought it was a partnership, you know. And, and, and I always liked the control. I always liked being able to, to run our deals. Um, you know, not knowing a whole while, but that's, you know, what it would, you know, what it was, but probably about four years ago, um, met a gentleman who became my, uh, our co co partner, our co GP in, in our syndications. He had a wide, wide business background in other areas, um, farming, you know, um, food production, like trucking, all, all these different things. And, he had, um, they had sold a company for a substantial amount of money about uh, 12, 13 years ago. And they syndicated, they created a syndication, but it was all within their family of some really nice real estate in Sarasota. And um, so over a period of a few years, you know, we, we kept talking, building our friendship. You know, we knew that we wanted to, uh, you know, to partner up in something. Just didn't know what it looked like. And um, a few years back, I was on a podcast um, the gentleman that, that put the podcast on invited myself and about a dozen others to his house and said, Hey, I'm putting together this mastermind. You, you want to come be you know, part of the first one and see how it goes. And, and at that group, you know, like I said, there was about a dozen of us, um, a few more, you know, including you know, him and his wife and his brother and things like that. But we like, I'm sitting in a room with, with people and I'm you know, trying to figure out what's next. And I know that I've been toying around with the syndication idea and it was just, you know, it, it really speaks to the power of the, ma of the mastermind. I had, you know, some people looking at me like, oh my gosh, you've got all these units and no partners. And I'm looking at them like, wow, you have all these units that you syndicated. And just somebody said one thing that at that meeting and I went home and I said, all right, I got it. Like it, it clicked in my brain. And then like two months later, you know, our first large deal to, you know, to raise capital for came along and it was, you know, it was scary, you know, it was exciting, but mm -hmm. had never raised you know money from like on that scale before, you know, we've done a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, like part types of things, but nothing, nothing on, in the, you know, along that scope or size. So right. did it was a lot easier, you know, than we expected. Another deal came along just, you know, and, and but it was all just something that somebody said at that, that one like Saturday morning, I'm like, all right, clicked in my brain. Why, why have I been like so stupid and not thinking, thinking right. about this in, in the proper way, you know? And, and then from there, it just, you know, it, it's, it's been a nice, you know, addition to our portfolio. Yeah, man. You know, I've, I've talked about how masterminds have changed my life and it, it's, it's so funny, man. Everything that you just said there, it's like, why do I do a podcast? Well, because it's, you know, I did a couple of podcasts. They opened up opportunities to me and the, the second podcast I ever did was with Don Costa. And then Don Costa invited me to Fresno, California to his first ever mastermind. And then from there I met, my largest private money lender at Don Costa's mastermind. So it's like the, <laughs> the, the correlations of our stories is so funny. And, and that's why I do a podcast now. 
That's yeah. why I own a mastermind now because it's just, I saw the impact of these, these events taking place and they, they changed my life. It changed your life. Obviously, you yeah. know, you, you, you were already on a path of success, but now this just opens it up where, you know, you can do so much more, so much quicker. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a, it's a testament to both being on podcasts, putting yourself out there, just sharing your journey. You know, I mean, that's all you were doing is just right. talking about what you were doing and it opened up, you know, yourself to other opportunities. And it's funny because most of the time we do podcasts, we think it's because it's going to be somebody listening to the podcast, but it could be like the other host, the other guest, who knows what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, so that's amazing. Um, so now how many deals have you syndicated since that moment? So we've, um, we've completed two large uh, syndications and then we're closing our third um, in the next month here. So, gotcha. um, and that's all, um, all stuff that uh, lo local to Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I, I've resisted the urge to do too much of it, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's three deals in a year and a half. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, um, I, I'd these rather are, put it large deals, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah. and honestly, you're at a place right now where I'm, and I'm making assumptions, but, you're probably not wanting to grow too rapidly. You're just wanting to make sure you grow with quality, not quantity. Right. 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 Absolutely. And, and I, um, you know, that's, so, so one of the downsides of, of a mastermind or, or going to the, you know, the different boot camps and seminars is that, you know, you can start comparing yourself to everybody oh, yeah. else. You're like, Oh my God, these guys closed a thousand units last year and took me 20 years. And you start comparing yourself to others. And that, that's something I think that, like you have to avoid i mean we're all guilty you know we're all guilty of that like yep. you know like trying to compare ourselves to others and, but but i really realized that i mean yeah i, I get a lot of joy out of, of out of doing the syndications and i have a ton of fun with you know raising money and providing value and, and you know we're like you know we give real returns to our investors you know we, we just have a like a, a fun time doing it but um but at the same time yeah i mean i'm, I'm you know we want to do quality deals um you know, we don't have to do these to eat, but it's a nice way to transition over time, like some of the smaller properties. And, and, uh, um, and again, we've done it a long time. I, I, you know, I have nothing but admiration for guys that just start out and go right into syndication. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I wish I had the, you know, the, the, the nerve and the confidence and the, <laughs> you know, the willingness to do it when I was younger. Um, but on the other hand, what worked for me was that building it up and saying, Hey, you know, making all those mistakes, be it, you know, from the way we bought something to the way we managed it to what we bought or how we, you know, handled repairs or whatever, whatever the case is. But, um, you know, that, that's what worked for me. So when we get into a larger deal and, you know, like right now, mid coronavirus pandemic crisis, you know, we can exude confidence to our investors and, you know, not every investor is confident, you know, they all have different walks mm -hmm. of life and, and backgrounds, but, um, you know, being able to, you know, to speak from experience, with them as opposed to how we think it's going to go, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's, that's, you know, I, that, that's what helps me sleep better at night. Well, you're, uh, you're preaching my story, man. I, I've been on, uh, two podcasts within like the last week and a half, one with Alex Pardo, the flip empire, and then Aaron Bevins out of San Antonio. And I literally quoted in both of them comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, because exactly what Love you're it. talking about, man, going to, to masterminds, being on podcasts and, 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 you know, listening to someone like you saying, yeah. you know, I've got a thousand units by the end of May. And that makes me want to run out of here and be like, we need a thousand units by the end of May. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. 
that competitive nature of being an entrepreneur. And so right. I appreciate you saying that because, you know, look, you're by, by all means, everybody that's listening to this should look at your journey and, and be like, man, that's awesome. And, and consider you super successful for where you are. But even you were finding yourself saying, but I could be doing more because this other, what this other person is doing. Um, and, and most everybody out there probably would have told you like, no dude, like you're, you're doing just fine. Yeah. Like calm down, yeah. you know? Exactly. Uh, and it's just, it's funny. It's human nature. So just, yeah. you know, don't get caught up in all that. You know, we're, yeah. you know, we're sharing Jason's story right now because to help you not so you can compare and be like, well, I don't have a thousand units. So yeah. I need to go out there and do this or I need to syndicate, you know, Hey, he started off with, you know, one or two deals at a time using his own money. So, uh, but I appreciate you bringing up, you know, the coronavirus and where we are with that. So, you know, obviously you've got a ton of units. How has this impacted you and what does that look like since this all kind of sure. bottom fell out a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. So, so on, um, the, the easy answer is that there's very minimal disruption. And, you know, what I've been saying um, all along for, for us, you know, investing in Erie, Pennsylvania, you know, we're a tertiary market located, you know, for, for those that aren't familiar with Erie, we're located on Lake Erie in between Cleveland and Buffalo, like directly, you know, directly north of Pittsburgh and you know, right between Cleveland and Buffalo on a map. So we're about an hour and a half from each of those cities. Um, you know, we're not really a suburb of them where we're, where we are our own thing, but, um, you know, greater metro area of 320,000 or so, um, blue collar area. Um, yeah, people, people's incomes were affected by the pandemic. You know, a lot of people lost their, their income. But on the other side of that, um, you know, our, our average rent for an apartment is not that much, you know, in, in Erie. So if you have a, a complex where the average rent is, say, $700 a month, well, if, if the average tenant at that complex, you know, makes, you know, um, say three or $4,000 a month, they can afford the rent when they go on unemployment, you know, and, and, you know, we, when this whole thing hit, you know, we did not give the tenants the, uh, the infamous, like, you know, screw you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pay us the, pay us rent. And that, that, um, that approach can work. And, you know, I don't want to criticize anybody else's way of doing business. You know, ours was more of, you know, just, just sort of leading with compassion, you know, um, you know, reaching out to people, checking in on if they're okay. You know, they, they know their rents do. Um, you know, we had people that as, as April hit, you know, checking in with them and again, not, not pounding them about it, but like, Hey, what's up? You know, just wanted to check and see where things are at. We hadn't seen your rent. And the vast majority of people it's that were late. It was a matter of waiting for their, their stimulus check or their unemployment. Um, you know, the vast majority know that as, as the economy opens back up and things start to, to come, you know, try to inch back to normal over the coming months that, you know, they're, they're going to have income. And, and again, if they totally lost their job, you know, they're still in an area where they can obtain other employment that will help them pay their bills. And so, um, so we've had some disruption. I mean, there are a few tenants that haven't paid, you know, that have avoided the phone calls and things like that, but it's, but it's, it's a very small percentage. I mean, out of, um, out of the 850 tenants at the very, this very second that we collect rent on and, and, and handle maintenance on, I've got four out of that, that, that have, you know, that, wow. that are going to be a problem. So the rest, rest have either paid or we know the date that the payments are coming in, you know? So you talk about that you are purchasing another asset and you're closing by the end of May. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I just interviewed Stephen Morris a couple of weeks ago, and he's out of Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I think he owns like I think he owns like seven hundred doors or something like that. You know, and and I I saw him post on Facebook the other day that you know he's buying another eighty something units. Yeah. Was there ever a concern about the value or or the purchase price of where you're you're buying this asset or the the stability of where we're going to be because of the the unknowing, you know, just, hey, we don't know where we're going to be come the end of May or the beginning of June. Was that ever a concern for you? To a certain degree, um, but not not enough that it would cause us to abandon the deal or abandon our plan. And and the reason being, you know, we, we my wife and I closed our first deal, which was a duplex, but but in any event, it was still a week before 9-11. Right. And, you know, and then we kept buying and we bought through 2008 and we, we were able to take advantage of, of the economic opportunity at the time. And, and, you know, um, being that we're, we're close to Cleveland, you know, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, you know, we look at those markets and say, certainly, you know, single family homes, um, certain types of assets can be, be a problem. You know, I certainly would be, um, probably a lot more fearful in my end, if I was mid midstream on a, on a large value ad, say in like Atlanta or Nashville or some, some larger growing market. Um, but I have a little, you know, a bit of a contrarian view on growing markets. I, I think that to me, the the sexiness or the appeal of a deal for me has always been like Erie is as boring as it gets. You know, Cleveland can be as boring as it gets, and that's okay. You know, right. like, um, because the value, you know, the rent values aren't gonna. I mean, I guess you can never really predict anything. I mean, you know, right. I don't know that any of us would have thought we w- would be in the middle of this thing right now. But I don't know that you know the average rents in Cleveland aren't going to g- drop fifty percent. So. I love a value add deal, but I think that, you know, I, I would not be projecting like, Hey, we're going to take these rents from 700 to 1500 in six months. Right. You know, so for the deals we're buying, we are pushing the rents, but we, we did a very modest increase to still stay below the market average for competitive units. So for instance, the deal we're buying the rents right now, um, average out at about 650. the competitive rents for the same type of product in our market are high 800s. And all we're looking to do is push the rents a hundred dollars, nice. you know, but by, by providing a similar product. So we didn't have to stretch the numbers, make all these things work and make all these wild assumptions to make the deal work. So we, um, and we gave ourselves time to achieve that. So we said, Hey, we, we would have a two year runway to, to be able to push the rents and be able to, you know, complete that construction and things like that to only push the rents a hundred dollars. And so, you know, I think that, that we looked at it from a very conservative standpoint and said, hey, you know, in those first two years, we can, we're, we're going to cap our returns to our investors at, at 8% cash on cash. And then after year two, you know, we'll bump those up to, to what, what we're actually doing. So we're, we're not setting ourselves up for, you know, um, failed expectations. Right. You know, we're not setting ourselves up for a failed deal or anything like that. So, um, so I, think, I know it's a I long answer. I, to, you know, yeah, I mean, but I appreciate it because that conservative – you know, underwriting or analysis or just standpoint, however you want to put it. Um, I think that's a consensus amongst, you know, almost everybody that I've talked to right now is just saying, look, Hey, if you're a wholesaler, you know, Hey, go 10%, you know, discount on the ARV right away. And instead of trying to sell it at 75 or 78% of the ARV minus repairs, go down to 65 or 70. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, same thing with flippers. You know, I had Lee Carney on the podcast, and, you know, he's flipped 7,000 houses. You know, I mean, the dude is unbelievable. And, and he was saying the same thing, just be mm-hmm. super conservative, you know, yep. tighten everything up. And you're saying the same thing about buy and hold. Like, hey, you have every right to go into this deal and say, hey, yep. we could be shooting for the high 800s. Yep. We just want to go up to the mid 700s. And right. would that be, with being that conservative, you're you're only allowing yourself to exceed expectations, and right. if you don't, hey, you know if the if the bottom falls out and this gets even worse than it already is, which, quite frankly, I don't know how it could be much more yeah. worse or awkward or just yeah. unprecedented than it already is right now. Um, you know, you're probably going to be right on the mark, and so yeah. that's a great way to approach this. You know, for the people that are listening and. And maybe, you know, buy and hold has not been something that they've looked at or, or small multifamily, even large multifamily. What advice could you give to someone that has been either a flipper or a wholesaler only and they're like, hey, this this sounds great and I want to start building passive income. What's the first steps that you would tell somebody to, to take? Well, I, th- I think the first steps in, in um, you know, looking to convert into passive income is just um, – to, to read and reread whatever, whatever book or, or, you know, um, not, you know, whatever you can to increase your knowledge. So whether it's re, you know, rereading rich dad, poor dad, you know, we, we, you know, if you look at the cash flow quadrant, you know, what quadrant do you want to be in? Right. And, and the best places that to, to be able to make money while you sleep. And I think that buy and hold to a large extent does that, you know? And, and so, um, course early on you know if you're buying if you're just buying something to manage it yourself um yeah you're going to be putting in the work but you're you're creating something that can that can feed you while you sleep um and and so i think that that's that's the biggest thing so it's maybe a little bit of a shift in mindset um you know like a a duplex isn't going to give you that same bump as as a uh you know as as a nice cash out on a flip um but i've also come around and shift my mindset where you know 20 years ago all i was going to do is buy and hold buy and hold but you know, look, I, I like a nice little wholesale fee or, or, you know, profit on a flip. So I've come around to, to incorporating, incorporating that into my life. It, it's, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, nothing, right? It, like, you know, you can be a successful wholesaler and make a ton of income, but say, you know, well, how long am I going to do this? And what am I going to do to set myself up to have another diverse stream, stream of income? Yep. So, so I think, you know, just listening to more podcasts, reading more books, but then, and then just start networking and find other people that have, at, you know, buy and hold assets and, and see how they've done it and just, just kind of network and, and talk to people. And you're really, um, and that'll help build their confidence as far as, all right, now I've got a stack of cash. Well, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to be a wholesaler for the next 40 years of my life? Or am I going to take this equity and invest in things that, that I can, you know, make money while I sleep. And, 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 uh, and that's really, the, in my mind, that's the key. I always tell wholesalers, if you've been doing this for a while and you have quite a few under your belt, go back and look and see how those properties performed. Yeah. Especially the the properties that you wholesaled to the buy and hold guys. Like go back and see. I mean, the, the, there's, you know, probably a trail of, you know, hey, did they you know, did they rent it out? Did they did they do a value add? Did they rehab the property? <clears throat> you know, was there a cash out refi at some point in time or even just following up with them and saying, Hey, you know, we, I sold you a property a while back, you know, how they turn out and yeah. just get, you know, some customer service there, but it, it's also educational to, to hear, 
the different struggles and the the tribulations that you know different investors have to overcome because look the end of the day, anybody that buys properties will tell you, hey, there's always a story that goes along with each one, right? They all can perform a little bit differently, uh, you know, different unique tenants and processes. And, and it's as much as we try to make it black and white and say, this is how it's going to go. They all kind of have their own little individual personalities and different things can happen. So exactly. Uh, but Jason, hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for your listeners, just, um, you know, everybody's starts in a different place. And I think that, you know, um, just, just keep doing, you know, just keep fighting the fight. I mean, progress is better than perfection. So that, that's right. really just the, the try, one of the mantras I live by, um, you know, trying to, trying to perfect something is, is a fruitless endeavor, you know, so, so just try and be better than you were the day before and, and, and you'll go far. Absolutely, man. Well, we'll be thinking of you, uh, hopefully your closings in May. Uh, go the way that they're supposed to go. Uh, thank you for taking the time and congratulations on uh, getting back over a thousand units. Yeah. Uh, that's that's beyond impressive, man. And uh, I think the the key thing here out of this interview is, uh, you know, Jason and I both agree that you know masterminds are are a huge asset to your business. But make sure if you're a part of a mastermind, you know, don't get in that comparison as a thief of joy. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just live your journey. And then also get out there and share your journey through podcasts. You never know who you're going to talk to and how it can change your life. Guys, that's our episode for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you're listening on iTunes, give us a five-star rating. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and hit the subscribe button. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.